Welcome and thanks for checking out this podcast from First International Christian Fellowship. The following message you are about to hear was carefully crafted with you in mind. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope that this message speaks to you as it did to us. Now here's Richard Fenimore delivering this week's sermon. Dearest, gracious Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for your blessing upon this time that we're in your word. I pray, Lord, that we will set everything aside and move everything out of the way and just be here with you one-on-one with your Holy Spirit and your word. I pray, Lord, that um, for hearts that are hungry, for your word, for your way, and for your truth, I ask you to help me to get out of my way and out of your way. Um, I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I titled this, um, Looking into God's Heart. And when I, when I first um, started reading it, um, it, it's a great picture of, of Paul's heart, but in Paul's heart, you see God's heart. And um, I think that it is, um, you know, I think that God gave me this chapter uh, specifically, um, and, and I really appreciate that, but uh, and I think you'll understand as we move forward, it has some great promises in it and some great doctrine in it that is not really well known, so I, I hope, uh, hopefully um, I won't mess it up, and we'll actually all get it. So, Looking into God's heart. Um, this is, uh, Joe already prepped you on this one last week. So um, it says, therefore, since we have these promises, and the promises it's referring to are um, in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18, and it's actually a quote from an Old Testament verse, but it actually applies to us, and it talks to us about um, about God being ours, by him being our God, and him being our Father, and us being his. Um, so that's the promises it talks about. So it's not just this promise, it's every promise that God has, has for us, that we can actually depend on them. And it says here, let us purify ourselves uh, from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The, um, the, the promise part says is not to have the promises, but to hold the promises. The, um, the piece here where it says, dear friends, it's not actually dear friends, it's actually uh, beloved ones. Uh, it uses the word, the, the agapago word. But it, it means beloved ones, like um, it's, it's endearing like you would say um, uh, when you talk to a child. And you talk, you know, my beloved one, my, my, my sweet loved child. So that's that same quality it has here, that, that that's how um, Paul is addressing them. And... Um, you know, I want you to notice that the Corinthians have not been very nice to him, okay? Uh, this would be like taking your enemy and trying to find some nice things to say, okay, which, uh, which is difficult. But his heart is for God, and he, he actually is able to do that. Now, it says, it says, let us cleanse ourselves. Um, the word here is actually an interesting word. I'll bring some of these words up because they're interesting. This is the word catharsis. For you people who are familiar with the word catharsis, it means to cleanse something. It means to make it pure and clean. So that's where we get this word from. And it's in the subjunctive mode. Uh, subjunctive means potential. That's what it means. So I really like the, the grammar sometimes because it tells you that, that it, it is a potential for you to do that. You can choose to do that. And what he's asking him there is to choose to, to purify themselves. And you purify yourselves, we're going to be talking about this verse because it keeps coming up, is 1 John 1, 9. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. It'll come up in a little bit. But the, 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 the piece there is that when you have something between you and God, um, what he's saying is that you need, you, need to, you need to confess that. You need to deal with it. 
And we'll talk a little bit about confession because um, it's one of the words that in Christianity has been murdered over the last hundred years. So uh, it actually does not help us understand what it truly means. Um, the word here where it says that contaminates us is actually a word for filthy. Um, it actually means garbage. It means excrement. It means uh, mud. It's something that's very offensive to others. And in this case, it's talking about the filthiness of their souls, of their, of their mentality. And why that's so important is because most of us have the uh, misconception that what happens in our head somehow is not really, God doesn't really count it until we actually do something. That's a lie. Okay, if you don't believe that, you can look at Proverbs uh, 6, verses 16 through 19. But those are actually the most offensive sins. Uh, and I like to coin a word, that's not my word, it's actually a word that somebody else uses. It's called mental attitude sins, or sins of the tongue. And this is exactly what Paul is, uh, is, is, is what happens to Paul from the Corinthians um, uh, continually. Now it says here, uh, purify ourselves from the body and the spirit. And the body is the part... Um, it's talking about not just the old sin nature, but the flesh. The word is flesh. It's 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 archaic. It means your flesh. So, so if you remember the Corinthians, they were the ones who were involved in sexual sin. And, and, and then Paul tells them, he says, don't you understand that when you are sexual with, with somebody outside of God's principles, you have you have violated your body, and that body holds the temple of the Holy Spirit in it. How dare you? You know, I, I don't think that Christianity looks at it that way today, but that's what he's talking about. And the other part is the spirit part. He's talking about the spirit, uh, talking about the soul. Now, many times the word uh, spirit and soul are used interchangeably. Uh, uh, yeah, tell me what that word is. You can, you can use it either way. And, and, the, and the reason for that is because uh, they're very, very close. In Christianity, they're, they're united and inseparable. Um, so they, they actually perform different tasks, but they are actually separate. Um, so this, this particular one is talking about cleansing our, cleansing our soul uh, and spirit from negative volition. Now, volition is a, is a word for choice, and negative volition is when you are really saying, God, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Okay? And that's what, they, that's what the Corinthians are doing. So he's asking them to deal with that. Okay? Um, He's saying here, uh, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That's an interesting thing. I mean, I always look at words sometimes when I see them, I go, what does that mean? You know, perfecting holiness, I don't know if I know what that means. So sometimes I have to dig around and find out what it is. But this is, um, perfecting holiness is, um, when we walk in the Holy Spirit, we are the holiness of God. Okay, that's what people see. That, that's what, if, if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are not representing Christ. You're representing you. Okay? And uh, usually that's... Uh, um, so when you walk with the Holy Spirit, that's the holiness and righteousness of God. That's what that is. It's something... The Spirit does that. Okay? That's in uh, Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. Here, I want to look it up. But what he's talking about here is he's not talking about perfecting. He's talking about reaching a goal to maturity. He's, he's asking... We, we want to mature ourselves in the holiness. Now, it's not talking about, um, the, the word for it is um, uh, experiential sanctification, okay? And, and what that means is that that's as you progress in maturity as a Christian. That's experiential uh, sanctification. Sanctification means to clean, and as you grow in Christianity, we're meant to clean ourselves in that way and mature ourselves for everything that God gives us and to apply doctrine to it and therefore, therefore grow. And the, uh, the word here says, um, 
for reverence for God is actually not the word reverence. The word is phobos. And if you know that, that's the word fear. You know, to be, have a phobia is to be fearful. And so it, it, it means respect, but it means awesome respect. It means the respect for God's power, for who God is. And, and too often um, what happens is that we, we make God, uh, and, I'll, and I'll use this in a, in a, in a, um, a newer sense, we, use, we look at God sometimes as our pal. You know, and um, I can't think of uh, something to compare that to, but if you had to take the most powerful being in the universe and slap him on the back and say, how's it going, God? That's what we do, okay? I imagine most of us wouldn't even do that to the, to the governor or to the president, let alone God himself. So God fits in a very specific spot, and what he's saying is that you have to respect him because of who he is, okay? Um, verse 2. He says here, um, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. The, the word here, the, the, interesting enough, when I first looked at this word, I thought, uh, I was looking at it in the Greek, because sometimes you, you can find things that are kind of cool. But I was looking at it, and it's a single word. This whole piece here says, make room for us in your heart, is one word. Just a single word. And um, what it means to, it says, it means to make room for us in your soul. In that part that, that, that you, that, that sacred part in you where you uh, have people that you love. That's what he's talking about. There. So make room for us. Um, and, and the problem is that, that they have what are some of they have mental attitude sins. So what happens is that they actually don't want Paul to be in their um, in their hearts. They don't want him to be there. They don't like him. They're mad at him. Okay. Um, the word here for uh, for corrupt the uh, for the, the corrupt one. This too is the the word, first word up here is, that we're looking at is the word wronged. It, it's actually the word for filthy. Um, and what it means is that we have not harmed you. Okay. Um, there's three things that what's really happening here is that, that Paul is actually addressing something that is written in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, uh, 4 through 17. I don't know if I have that. Let me find out. Ah, miracle. What it is, I added some verses, so now I'm in danger. You know, I don't know which ones are in here and which ones are up there. Um, but this is, what he's, this is what he's addressing here. So if you look at those three things he's, he, he's addressing here, he's addressing them from this. Um, even though this is further ahead in the book, but the accusation is already known to him because they, he's, already, he's already heard them. Okay? So he says, now I'm ready to visit you for the third time. Uh, I will not be a burden to you. Now, notice, note that, that, that Paul is such that Paul deserves as the pastor and the apostle to be paid by them, to be supported by them. We don't invite a pastor to our church and say, hey, guess what? You're on your own. You know, there's things that we do. So he doesn't, he doesn't burden them. What he says is that, I don't want to burden you at all. I don't want you to pay for anything. I don't want you to think that I'm here to tell you about God because you gave me money. Okay? So he says, um, he says because I want what I want is not your possessions at all. Now note that one of the things that they're accusing him is exploiting him. Okay? So he's, he, he's, he, that's one of the, the accusations that he's having. After all, children should not have to, have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So he's actually making a, a comparison with parents and children. That at, he, as the parent, doesn't need anything from his children, which is the congregation, but will take care of himself. Even though from God's standard, and all standards, he actually uh, should have that right. Okay? 
so I will gladly spend for, uh, spend for you everything I have. He's going to give everything he has, and that's what he does. He doesn't have much, but what he has, he completely supports himself, and he does whatever's necessary. And expend myself, which means give everything that he is. Um, if you love me more, uh, will you love me less? If I love you more, will you love me less? Um, you know, that's a really strange say, statement in my mind. But if you, if you have kids that you really, really love, you can really see that sometimes they treat you like, like you're dirt. Okay? And, and, and that's what this is here. It says, if I love you more, because many times, the more that you love your children, the rotten do they become. You know, the reality is that my dad had something. He used to whip us pretty good, and we loved him. I don't know why. but uh, So I think it's actually, you know, there's something up that's kind of funny. Um, so that's what he's talking about here. Those three things are, they're accusing him of being unfair. Um, okay, that's one of the things they're asking, they're saying about him. They're saying that he is corrupt. Um, and this is the view from the Judaizers. The Judaizers are the Jews that try to infiltrate Christianity by giving Mosaic laws and giving them rules for things like salvation and, and a life. So they were coming in and making a lot of uh, accusations against Paul. And the, this one here, the corrupt part, you're going to like this. I think this is entertaining. The corrupt part was because Paul taught grace. And grace has all the appearance of corruption. Okay? And if you remember what Paul says, he, say, he says, he says they hate us because of our freedom. Um, and we talked about, the last time I talked, we were talking about grace. But this is what this is about. He's really sitting there and said, well, you know something? You, you, you can't give people too much grace. It says people who are saved. Right? All by grace. Uh, all our Lord does for us. God's policy towards us is grace. So that's his major sin that they can point at. You know, he's teaching people to be too free. I mean, pretty soon they're going to be start eating pork. You know, that's a joke. Sorry, right, but Jews didn't eat it. But okay, we'll move on. Um, and the next one, he's he's actually um, they're accusing him of treating uh, him someone financially. That's part of the word here. Uh, uh, so it's actually somebody treating somebody financially, taking advantage of them. Now you can see from this part that he is absolutely not doing that. Probably should go back to the verse we were in, huh? Um, there's a, there's a quality of this that is, um, um, the, the, what they're accusing him, him is a frantic search for happiness, that it is his desire to have money. We would call it greed, okay? <clears throat> but so much, this is, this is the, inter the, the interesting part about this particular word is it has that connotation to it. It's somebody who is very avarice, somebody who is desiring, and they're frantic to get money. They're accusing him of this, even though he made them pay nothing. Now, what's interesting about that particular word is that we're going to come to that word as a contrasting word later on. Uh, so I want you to look at that. Whenever, whenever somebody is, uh, is, is carnal, is walking uh, with the world, what they do is they have a frantic search for happiness. Okay? What happens is they, they want money, but they can't get enough. Um, they want love, but they can't get enough. They want sex, but they can't get enough. They want drugs, but they can't get enough. Can't drink enough alcohol. And what happens is when they do all that, when they have as much as they can, they're hungrier for even more. Okay? That's the way of the world. If you want to see the way of the world, that is a proven fact that they will have a hunger that they cannot fill. Okay? And we'll see how God's different than that. But something very similar happens. He says, um, oh. oh, I should have gone further, huh? Um, be that as it may, I'm going to read the verse I should have missed before. Be that as it may, I may have not, uh, not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I am, 
I caught you by trickery. Now, in case you didn't see that, that is like dripping sarcasm. Okay? And, um, and note it that it's in the Word of God. And it's being done by probably the greatest teacher who has ever lived, Paul. And I say that because I love being sarcastic. And uh, I just want you to know that it's biblically sanctioned. It's right there. Um, uh, did I exploit you um, through any of the men I sent you? And he's talking about Apollos and he's talking about Timothy and uh, soon to be uh, Titus. So he's making his case there. That's a parallel to this one. Let me see. I don't even know where I'm at now. What's this one for? Dynacondemi. Okay, did that one. Two, seven. Be patient with me. I'm still having trouble with this thing. Okay, well, that, oh, I see. I see what I did. Okay, got it. That's just the wrong title. Okay, I do not, um, I do not say, I do not say this to condemn you. Um, I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would uh, live or die for you. So it's his appeal. He's he's helping them straighten that out. And what it says here, what it says, it says, I, I do not say this to condemn you. He says, uh, I do not say this in a spirit of con condemnation. Um, that um, so it's a spirit that he's talking. He says, I'm, I, I don't have that spirit when I'm when I'm trying to. When I wrote to you, First Corinthians, it's very pointed. It's very bold. But it was not my it was my attempt to condemn you. Okay, and and the word here is uh, is a very strong word for not. It's it's the word ook, but it's a very powerful word for not. And he says, I keep on um, I keep on having uh, my heart your hearts before me. I, he's talking about his love for them. And he says that in our hearts, we keep on loving you and caring about you. Um, the problem is that we talked about before is that mental attitude sins on the side of the Corinthians because they have such animosity and bitterness towards him it is actually causing them not to have a place for him, not to have him even have to, a place to appeal. So what, what Paul has to do to, to deal with this and, and pastors and, and, and mature Christians do it all the time, is that they, they take what's happening uh, to them from other people, and they remember the Word of God, and they cycle it all the time. Okay, um, One of my favorite verses is, uh, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. Uh, he will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not uh, fear or be dismayed. And whenever I am concerned, worried, or I'll use the word afraid, I run that verse over my head over and over again to remind me that God was already there, that I don't have to worry anymore, that I'm in his hands, and that that's exactly what's happening here. So every time they're condemning him and being rude to him and bitter to him, he is, he is coming back and cycling that, you know something, the Lord loves you. I love you. I know that you have a heart for God. You just have to have a time to reveal it. So, so you see what's happening here is that there's all this hate going one way, and there's all this love going the other way. And that love is based on the orientation of Paul to the Word of God. Okay? So that's what's happening there. Um, what's happening here is that, that he says, you are with us even if we are dying. Uh, you are with us even if we are living. What Paul's saying is that no matter what happens to us, and, and, and this means to Paul, if you, if you remember, Paul, Paul's going down with, he, he's being stoned, he's being shipwrecked, Lots of things happening to him. If anybody should have a grudge against God in the world, it would be Paul. I mean, he's got the what the uh, the uh, thirty nine lashes. He's got it all. But instead of that, Paul is stable. He's a stable person. You listen to him, and in view of the criticism, he should not be stable. Yet he is. 
Okay? This is, this is a symptom of a person who is mature. Okay? Everybody's crazy around you, and your job as a Christian is to be stable, to be right on target, to not let your emotions overwhelm you, but to stay on target with what God has told you. Okay? That's the job. But the, the part of death here, too, is it has a, the, the word it's using, it, it's the opposite of the word to kill, but the word that's in front of it is a piece that says, even if we were dying a painful death, you would be in our hearts to the last moment. That's what that word means. So to me, it's like, uh, Paul's a much better man than I am by a long shot. Actually, I suppose I've run into a whole bunch of people who are better men than me, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> let's go to verse 4. I have spoken with you with great frankness. The word here is not frankness, it's boldness. Okay? Um, and, I take, and I take great pride in you. Now, these seem like they're, like, they're, like they're kind of disconnected because sometimes we think that being sweet and nice is the same thing as loving. Okay? And, and, and what he's saying here is that they're not the same thing. Okay? They're not the same thing. Many times a pastor has to cut to the bone, has to say things, and that's where he's at. He says, I am greatly encouraged in our troubles. My joy has no bounds. I don't know. To me, when I first read that, I thought, this doesn't make any sense to me. You know? um, and, and what's happening here to Paul is Paul is recovering from depression. Now, I know that we're Christians and we're not supposed to be depressed, but I don't know what to tell you. Okay? It's here. The word here is to have great depression. Um, and depression is common uh, with, with, with believers. It's extremely common in pastors and teachers. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because he'll, he'll reveal it in this word. But it's like battle fatigue. It's like battle fatigue. What happens is every time Paul gets up, somebody hits him again. He gets up, hits him again. Gets up, hits him again. And Paul's sitting there going, okay, this really hurts. Should I get up again? Okay? Because if you look at his life and where he was at, if you remember before he was in Ephesus, he was being persecuted. He'd been chased out of town. They were, they were doing all kinds of awful things to him. At the same time, the Corinthians are like beating him up. So that's what's happening. He's in battle fatigue right here. Okay? He is in the, he's high, uh, hanging by, the, by, by his uh, toenails. Fingernails. Make that fingernails. These are fingers. Okay? Um, so he, he says here, he says that the boasting type here is a good boasting. Okay? So he's saying, I boast about you. And you'll find out with this uh, uh, more later, that when I first read the boasting, I'm thinking, okay, how can you boast about these turkeys, Corinthians? I mean, to me, um, I, and I heard in a, in a thing, that Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is like the doctrine of evil sin. Okay, it's called like the doctrine of harmatiology. Harmatiology is the word for sin. So it's like, if you want to find out the evils and ugly part about sin, read 1 Corinthians, because it's all there. Okay? So I'm looking at this thing and saying, how... How do you boast about these people? I don't get it. You know, these guys are these guys are people who, who I, I wouldn't even hang out with. Um, <clears throat> but it's a good type of boasting. He, he's saying you'll understand in a minute. Um, and his his his, um, his point is that from his point of view, what he is is he's not like them. Okay. What I mean by that is that sometimes when you as a Christian, what you're supposed to do is that you are supposed to be this you are supposed to be the stable person at all times. That's why it says Christianity is to be self-controlled. Okay? The reason that you were to have that is because you don't depend on your own thinking. You don't depend on your emotions. What do you depend on? You depend on God. You have faith. You use the power of God, the truth of God. 
And that's what makes you stable. Okay? And that's where he's at. That's why he can say this. Rather than being angry at them, he, he's very stable and tells them the truth. He says, I, 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 I boast about you to all my friends. I boast about you to, to Titus. I boast about you, Corinthians. Um, this word here says, I, um, I am greatly encouraged. And this is the word, um, we're familiar with this word, it's the word paracletes. Yeah, this is the way commonly use that word paraclete as the Holy Spirit, as the comforter. Um, and this is just the exact same word here. But this is given in the passive voice, which means that he receives comfort, and he receives that from God. Okay? True comfort comes from God and God alone. Or through God, through an agent, which we'll see later on, of God. Okay? Um, and he wrote this before he runs into Titus. Before Titus, remember a couple weeks ago, three weeks, whatever it was, we were talking about Titus coming back, coming back uh, and meeting him up in, I think it was Thessalonica, up in Macedonia. And, um, but he hadn't seen him yet, so this is just before that, so we didn't kind of ruin the story here. And he says, I'm, I'm overflowing uh, with this, um, this, this comfort. I'm overflowing with it. I have this overflowing things. And it's interesting that um, he... Um, He's not overflowing with it because of his, um, uh, because of Timothy or from Luke, one of those people who you might think would comfort him. He, he's actually, uh, uh, he's actually, he's actually uh, comforted because of Titus, because he knows who Titus is. Okay, he knows the kind of man he is, and he knows that he's going to get a report from him. Um, so he's talking about uh, all the pressures and changes that that he has and, and what he's under. But yet in all of that, the pressures don't change. Paul changes. That's an important thing to remember, is that, uh, I, I thought this was pretty funny, somebody said this. He says, you know something, when God puts you in a trial, and he pressures you to make you into something that you're not, don't pray for him to take away the trial, because he won't. His job's not to take away the trial. His job is to help you in the trial. Okay? And that's where Paul's at. You notice here, nothing's changed. The Corinthians are still bozos. But he has changed. He has reoriented himself to figure this out. Uh, for when we came into Macedonia, uh, that's Luke and Timothy, they were, on, they were part of his team. Macedonia, if you remember where that's at, that's up above Greece, and um, that's where Macedonia is at. Uh, we had no rest, uh, but we were harassed on every turn, conflicts outside, fears within. Okay? Paul is, is actually talking about his depressions. It's an explanation of how he feels, of his suffering and his trials. Uh, it's personal insight into the soul of Paul. Is that even though he is beat up and he's going through these things, he's going through things that we would never imagine. Okay? We, don't, we don't have that in our lives in, in, in America. Okay? But he's going through all these things. Um, and, and he's actually kind of talking about them. We're harassed on every side. There is no rest for us. There are conflicts on every side. Okay. Um, the passive voice also means that, it's in the passive voice, and it means that he is getting these troubles, but he is not the creator of them. That's an important thing to remember. As a Christian, what happens to most Christians is that we make bad decisions, we create our stress, and then we're upset that we're in it. Okay? And what he's using, God the Holy Spirit puts the passive voice in here. And passive voice means that you didn't, that you didn't do it. It came to you. Okay? It came from outside, somebody outside. And that's what he's saying here is that in reality, these were not bad choices. In reality, he is getting this because of his position. Okay? These awful things of harassment and trials on every side 
but because of his position as pastor and apostle. Um, this is very similar to, to Joe. I'll pick on Joe. I haven't even talked about it. I'll pick on him anyway. He's wearing jeans and I'm not. Um, but what I'm saying here is that, this is what I'm trying to tell you, is that when Paul, Paul has such a love for the Corinthians, it's parallel how Joe feels about you. Okay? He has this love. And um, I suppose I can say this out loud. I'm going to tell you some secrets about Joe. Um, Joe was telling me one time about how, and I think it's kind of, people know, is that sometimes when he finishes a sermon, he's depressed. And he made a statement, the joking statement is, don't call me on Monday. <laughs> because what happens with pastors is, is, and teachers happens too, is that you think about what you do. You think about that you've given that information. You, you try to entice people to God. Okay? And what happens is you feel like you didn't quite hit the mark. You know, you always feel that way. I mean, for heaven's sakes, what, talking for God is like crazy. It's, it's an insane responsibility. And the best thing you can do with it is, is, is not worry about it. That sounds crazy, but it's true. But Joe worries because when he sees the congregation, and he sees your struggles, and he sees your lack of faith, and he sees your leaving, and he doesn't see the church doing it, he takes it on his own heart that somehow he didn't do better. Okay? It's a lie, but it's, it, that's how he feels. Um, Spurgeon was like that. Spurgeon had great fits, if you know who Spurgeon is. He's a great, great teacher. Um, he had great depression. So just dripping. Sometimes he couldn't even get out of bed because of that same thing. And that's because a pastor and a teacher, especially a pastor like Joe, is Joe absolutely loves you. He, he absolutely loves you. He, he, he worries about you. He thinks about you. And he feels this same depression when you don't respond right. Did I say that clearly? You don't respond right? I said that clearly, yeah. Because there's a cooperation here, okay? And that cooperation is that Joe does his part and you do your part. So when Joe does his part perfectly and you don't, he takes responsibility that somehow he didn't do it perfectly. The truth is, both sides are responsible. Joe does his right. I've listened to him all the time. He's a great teacher. I'm sure you've noticed that. But when you don't do your part, that's your fault. That's your problem. This is the same thing that's going on with Corinth, okay? So what happens is you have the greatest man who has ever taught the word of God, Paul, talking to these moron Corinthians, doing all these things, and guess what? He tells them the truth of God, and they hate him for it. Okay? Paul feels responsible. He is grieved, depressed, because of it. Yeah, that was cool. It was like the, the lightsaber thing, right? Oh, never mind. Okay, uh, Titus 1.5. Um, he sent Titus in for this reason. I wanted to bring this piece about Titus in. Um, is that right? Let me see. I'm going to read one back. I'm one back. Okay. Because Titus is mentioned here. He says, But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now notice that when he says the gown cast, this is a confirmation that he's depressed. He's, he's talking about him. He's talking about him and his team who work endlessly, who get paid nothing, who work on their own just to support that. 
They provide their own food. They provide their own place to live. Okay? They do everything. And they're, and, and, and they're downcast. He says, nevertheless, is the, the, is the, rather than but, nevertheless, um, God sends his comfort. And God's always the comforter. Okay, this is a parakitos again. This is the same, that same word. And the downcast, the downcast word where it says downcast here. In English, in English it's just downcast. But in reality it's a reference to how it's a different word than he used for himself. Now he's actually talking about globally, about all believers. That all believers get pushed down. And all believers get depressed. And all, all believers get pressure on them. If they walk with God, there is pressure on you. Okay? So it's the same thing. In reality, sometimes you think that is something that you did wrong, but in reality, it's something you did right. Okay? Um, and then it talks about the coming of Titus, and it uses a different tense here that tells you that, that, that this is very specific, that God sent Titus for them. Titus is their comforter. Okay? Um, and this is a really important thing, because in reality, sometimes... Your purpose as a believer is to encourage. Okay? That's your purpose. That's a godly thing to do. Some people are really good at that. I don't happen to be one of them, but some people, that's a gift. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. They're really good at it. You know, they, they say nice things. Uh, I tend not to. I tend to say, well, an example is that, you know, if you ask Joe to pray for you, Joe would say, I'll pray for you. I mean, if, if I prayed for you, I'd say, Lord, just Beat the crap out of them, Lord. Just knock them down and make them understand. That's what I'd say. So people don't ask me to pray much for them. But, but in reality, that's what I want God to do because people are kind of stubborn. You know, people, people don't, um, what's the joke? People don't understand it when you talk real nice. That's why, you know, uh, next piece, piece I have here, this is why uh, Paul did not send uh, Timothy afterwards. Okay? Because you know Timothy, you know. Timothy, oh, he's so sweet. Oh, he's so nice. He's a really nice guy. Um, he's so sweet that uh, women beat him up and kick him around, right? That's what he says. Paul says, okay, you know, Timothy, stop sweating it. Take a couple glasses of wine and calm down. I know the girls are chasing you around and mom is just yelling at you, but it'll be all right. So uh, Timothy would not be good for the Corinthians, okay? And he wasn't. Um, it says here, it says, uh, Titus um, went to straighten out the Corinthians, okay? Um, and this next verse tells you why. Oh, there it is. He says, the reason I left you, this is, now this is Paul talking in a different book of the Bible to Titus, okay? He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might be might, might put in order what, what was left unfinished. By who? By Paul, okay? Um, and uh, unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed. It goes on and on. But the Cretans... The people from Crete were like some of the most miserable Christians on the face of the earth. Uh, in fact, if you know some of the uh, this ancient jokes about Cretans, it says there's nothing worse than a Cretan. Okay, that's a person from Crete. Because they were so incredibly stubborn. Okay, and these were people who were no different. So what, what, Paul, what Paul does is he kind of starts it out, and he says, okay, now I'm going to send my black ops guy, my sniper, Titus. And Titus just beats the you-know-what out of him. He just beats the snot out of him. And, and the Christian church actually grows and becomes really, really good. Because Titus is a very stable person. He understands his responsibility to God. Okay? And many people don't grasp that. But Paul does, and Titus even more. Titus is the man you send in when, when the Corinthians have chased out Apollos, which they have, and they've chased out Timothy, which they have, you send in Titus. Okay? 
and um, just kind of give you a little bit about Titus. Um, Titus goes in there, and he sits there and says, okay, let's look at this book that you guys are all whining about. Let's open up 1 Corinthians. So I just okay, this is you, 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 and you. Let me see, let me see this one here. And you, and yeah, you are the bum that says you are, and he's going through it. He's just ripping them apart, okay? Um, and that's what they need. Because sometimes people just, you can't tell them by being nice. They don't. I mean, uh, it's just not, it's not that way. Uh, um, so Titus goes to straighten them out, uh, and he's, he's reporting to Paul on, on what happened in Corinth, if you remember that from like six weeks ago. That was his job. He went down, he's, he went down and he did that. He kind of did the in-depth Bible study, you know, ripped them to pieces, um, and, then, uh, and then came back up to see uh, Paul for that report. And, um, okay, seven, there we go. By, by the way, those headings up there are incorrect, just let's say. So don't look there. Look. Um, when did that correct? I don't know. Okay. So let's go on. Um, and not only is his coming, talking about Titus to us, his coming to us, he says, but also by, uh, by comfort you have given him. Now this is an interesting thing here. Uh, what he's talking about here is he's talking about a comfort that, that he received from Titus coming to him, to Paul and his team, that made them overjoy. And he's also talking about it here. This is the this piece right here. says, by the comfort you gave him. You, in this case, is the Corinthians. So the Corinthians gave Titus a comfort of some sort. Okay, he comforted them. Um, he comforted him. And he says, uh, he told us about your longing for me. That's Paul. Okay, I'm talking about the Corinthians longing for Paul. Now this is, if you've noticed, we've just crossed over from the report. Okay. Before it was the before the report. Now we're in the after the report. Titus has downloaded the report to him, told him what's going on, and that's where we're at. So this is what this piece is here. He says, about you're longing for me." Paul's saying, "For what? For me?" And he's not about talking about personal longing. He's talking about a belonging for Paul's ministry. Okay. Your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was made greater than ever. Now, when I first looked at this, I thought, "I, I don't understand what happened here." Okay, what happened here? These, these bums over here, I was talking about them. These are believers I'm talking about, by the way. Um, what happened to them? Titus went down there, and he chewed them up and spit them out the other side. And now he's saying these things about him. This is his report. Okay? Um, the, the, the word that he's talking about, the, the joy that he has, is a joy uh, of inner happiness. What it means is that when, when Titus gave him the report, it lifted his spirits. He, he, he went from being depressed and feeling uh, regret, an emotional regret, to being happy, to being overjoyed, overflowing joy, happiness. Um, and, it's, and it's in the happiness, it's in the uh, passive, of course, again, so he's actually receiving it at, from what he got from Titus. Um, so what happened here is that, <clears throat> this is a principle, what happened here is that um, what's supposed to happen, this is God's point of view, when, when, you, when a pastor has to chastise somebody, like a whole church in this case, he's, he's very bold. He's very specific. He just says, this is what you are. Now remember, these guys are, what are they, they're, they're incest, um, uh, and that's, that's one, of the, one of the better traits. 
Um, but they have all these awful sins that they have. Um, and what happens here is that when, when, when Titus tells them that, when Paul tells them that, they are mad at him. And they're really, really angry at him. They have all this bitterness that they're writing back. But what happens when Titus comes to him, Titus isn't nice like Paul is. Paul, not, what he, ha he has to me is he says, you know something? You did these things. You should be ashamed. You have no leg to stand on. And, it, and it's lucky for the grace of God that you'd go straight to hell. And what they did is they responded appropriately. They responded to it. They thought, they thought, yeah, that's true. That's us. And that's what he's talking about here. So what happens here is he gets straightened out. And what happens is when, um, when, when Titus sees this, he's amazed. He's sitting there and saying, let me, let me give you an example. When I think about it, it's like sometimes I see Christians in the way they conduct themselves and I'll just say I'm a judging person. I am. Um, get that off the table, right? Um, I'll look at somebody else and say, you know, I have no idea how this person could be a Christian. Okay? And I'm sure that that's what Paul thought about the Corinthians, too. But you, know, you look at me and you go, I, I don't understand. There's not one piece of Christianity in you. I don't know why you're, I don't know how this happened, you know? And then what happens is that that's kind of the way you look at them. And then sometimes what happens is that those people change. And all of a sudden you look at you go, Look at that again. And you go, wow, I kind of like that. That's a, that's a humble person. That's a person who, God did save them. I'm like the amazed person, you know. Uh, and I hear them respond, and they respond not in arrogance anymore, but in humility. Now, that's usually when discipline has beat the you-know-what out of them, the snot out of them. And then we, they, rather than getting more bitter and turning away from God, they actually come back. They actually have humility. And that's the part that, that, that Titus got to see, and he relayed to Paul. And Paul's overjoyed, because he's looking at him. If there's a piece of where he says, I hope I haven't spent my time with you in vain. Because a lot of times, you spend a lot of hours teaching people, and then sometimes they reject it. And you, and you want to go, Lord, help me. You know? Because you... You do it for the right reasons. You do your duty to God. You spend hours and hours in study. And then you present it and you watch people spit on it like it's nothing. Not just for you, but for God himself. And so it's very depressing. It's very, and, and that's what he's saying here is that when you actually see somebody respond to that appropriately, that's what he's talking about here. He, he gets it. It's a, it's a blessing to Titus. He relays that blessing. He says, guess what I found? You know what you were telling me these idiots down there actually had God's heart? I said, yeah, right. You know, this is Titus talking to Paul. Yeah, right. I've seen these people. They're bozos. They're never going to get it. Okay? And then he witnesses it. He sees it for himself. He sees the humility. He sees them all of a sudden turn their hearts. Just like that. Turn their hearts. All of a sudden, they've gone from bitterness towards Paul to that when their heart changed, when God changes their heart, and that's a collaboration. God does not reach in and say, change. He does not do that. If you don't change, God cannot and will not change you. Impossible. Okay? God allows free choice. And so if you want to be a bozo and stand up in heaven, that's the way it is. He won't change that. Okay? But in this case right here, he sees them changing. Titus didn't see that, but Paul saw that in them. And because he saw that response, 
he's overjoyed. He's overwhelmed. And the words here he's using, he says, uh, the report came back and says that you have an earnest desire, is the words used up here. You, you mourn. You have zeal. Okay? That's the words that are up here. But those words are actually, let me read those words to you. He says, what they are is that, remember what I was saying about the insatiable desire? The first word there where it says earnest desire is not earnest, it's insatiable desire. Okay? And what that insatiable desire for is for the word of God. It is for Paul to teach them. The very man that they hated for the last few years, maybe it was one year, <laughs> one year, the very guy, they love him now. They want to hear what God has to say. Because he is the greatest teacher who has ever walked the face of the earth, other than Christ himself. They want to hear him. How did they change so quickly? Because when you confess, when you change your mind about who you think something is, well, you, the, uh, it's, it's called metanoiao. It means to change your mind about something. It's the same thing that happens that when, you, when you're saved, you think that oh, Jesus Christ, he's a really nice guy. But when you realize he's the, the savior of the world, that's called a metanoiao. I used to think he was a nice guy. Now I know he's the savior of the world. That's a change in mind. Same thing happens with these guys, except it's not about salvation. They sit there and say, we thought this guy was yelling at us and screaming at us and telling us we're idiots. We are, but don't tell us that. Um, but now that we see that that is true, and we see how we've treated Paul, we realize that how awful we were towards him, that he was trying to tell us what God had to say for us, say to us, we are grieved that we have treated him that way. We're grieved to our hearts. Okay? And we have a sensational desire to hear God's word. We want to hear Paul. We were wrong. Now, the, word, the second word here where it says mourning, this is kind of a, an emotional thing. It means that they were yelling and screaming. And went, you know, kind of like a, if you go to a, a funeral, people do. I shouldn't put fun at funerals, huh? Okay. Uh, but they get, they, they're very loud. They're very emotional. Okay? Um, in, in reality, that word, um, that word means something that's worthless. Okay? It means that they're loud and they're making all these emotional overtones. But in reality, it means zero. It does. It doesn't mean anything to God. Okay? So that's what he's... he's he, but, they're, but they're realizing how mean they were, and, and they, so they have this huge emotional response. When I first read this, the word reminded me of one I read in Zechariah, that when the Jews finally realized who Jesus Christ is at the Battle of Armageddon, in like Zechariah 14, what, they, what it says that they do is that they weep once they figure out that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He died for their sins. Once they realize that, in the Battle of Armageddon, which is like in the future, they weep for him as someone who lost their firstborn child. That's the, that's the level of regret the Jews will have for rejecting Jesus Christ in the future. Okay? That's the same, the same thing. And the other part is zealousness. This word is the zealous. It means that they're zealous for the ministry. They, they've had a true change of mind, and that mind is now humble and hungry for the word of God. Okay. <sighs> Gee, we better move this along, huh? I might even beat Joe's record. I'm no, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> even if even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Oh, sorry, I have to go back to this piece here. <clears throat> I wanted to tell you about these two things here. These are coming up in the next verse. There's two words for repentance in the, in the Greek. One is uh, an emotional repentance. It means to be very sorry. Um, 
<clears throat> it's of no spiritual benefits at all, but it is very emotional, and it's, and it's, and it's a normal thing, okay? And that's kind of what happened with this piece down here where they're lamenting. Uh, and the, the word is the word um, that comes up in Matthew 27, 3. If you remember what happened is Judas repented of what he had done to Jesus. Now, most people look at that word and say, because it's in the English, they go, oh, he repented. Oh, maybe he's, he repented. Maybe, maybe he understood who Jesus was. Okay? But the problem is the word they use for that is this word here. It's called metamelonai. And it means to have an emotional response. He regretted, he, he regretted um, injuring a person who was innocent. That's what he felt. He did not change his mind about Jesus Christ. That's why he wasn't saved. If he had changed his mind about who Jesus Christ was, he'd have been saved. But he did not do that. The other one is menorio, is the one I was telling you about. And that's the word where you change your mind about something. You thought one thing, then you change it to another one. That's the one that God's looking for. When God saves people, when God saves people, it is because they have come to understand and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and their Savior and died for their sins. That's what they get. It's a change of mind. It's not an emotional feeling. If you came to Christ only with emotion, you are not saved because God does not accept emotion. Okay? If he did, we could all cry our way to heaven, right? You just whine and be sincere and weep. And, but God would go, okay, yeah, ha-ha, uh ha-ha. -huh. Smarten up. Read my book and then come back. That's what he'd say. It's just true. Um, so let's go back to there. Even if I caused you sorrow with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Um, what, what Paul's having here, this is, this is what I was talking about with, 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 um, with Joe and Paul realizes that. You, you, you have a responsibility to God. I have a responsibility to God. Joe has a huge responsibility to God. And that responsibility is doing really tough things. Is sometimes saying things that, trust me, we don't want to say. But you do. And what you do is you take the hit for it. You do. You take the hit. That's true. He's so cool. I don't even know what they say about me. But, that, but you know what I mean. Is that What happens is that you take the hit for that. And you do it with your eyes wide open. You, you're a human being. You know how they're going to take it. But you tell them that truth right down the line. And sometimes they leave. Sometimes they hate you. But sometimes, like this one, they respond. Okay? And that's what he's looking for here. He did this in spite of the way people who are mature believers do things in spite of how they feel about them. Okay? They, they do them because they have a responsibility and they grasp that responsibility. Okay? And that's where Paul's at. What he's saying here says, I do not I do not I do not repent. In this case, he's saying, he says, I, I, I do not repent of what I did. I'm not sorry for what I did to you because God told me that's what I have to do. If I want the job, that's what I do. Okay? He says, I did regret it. Remember, I was telling you about the part where he says he had that uh, emotional regret? That's what he's saying right here. I did have that. After I wrote you 1 Corinthians, I was so upset. I was so I knew that I crushed you. I knew that I did these things. I, I did it because it was my responsibility that in order for you to change, you have to understand the depth of your sin. I wish I didn't have to, but that's what I did. 
And that's what he's saying. He says, I, do, I did regret it, though. He's talking about that. He had that feeling. And he says, I see. That, was a, that means to, to glance and to see something. He says, I can see that my letter hurt you, but only for a short time. And see, that's how God looks at it. That's God's viewpoint. That's God's looking, at, looking through Paul into, into, into God's heart. God says, says, you know something? God's not like us. He doesn't have, um, I get in trouble with this one. He doesn't have emotions like we do. So he doesn't, he's not moving around. Which is really a good thing, right? It's really a good thing that God's emotion doesn't go from one side to the other because one day we might be saved and the next day he just smokes us, right? Because we're stupid. Um, but he's, very, he, he's absolutely unequivocally stable. And when he disciplines us, he does it absolutely perfectly. And he knows it's going to hurt. He knows exactly how much it's going to sting. But he does it because we're valuable to him. He loves us. He loves us with an infinite love. Okay? And what he's really saying is that after I heard what Titus said, I felt better and reoriented myself, so I had joy. I understood that what I didn't do, what I didn't, I wasn't able to complete that action. I did my job, but I wasn't able to complete it. I sent Titus in, and he completed God's work. Okay? That's, uh, if I knew anything about basketball, I'd say that was a, like a team tag, but, but I don't. That's Joe's part, you know? What I know about basketball, I hear from Joe. Um, so the whole point is he feels this pain. Sometimes you have to be harsh. Sometimes you have to be sarcastic. Sometimes you have to poke fun. And sometimes you have to shame from the word of God. If you don't believe that, read the book. It's all over the place. You know? My favorite piece is when Jesus looks at, looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. It's like, is there, a, is there a bigger insult for a Christian? Especially a leader Christian? <sighs> We're running out of time. Um, nine, okay. Yet now I am happy, okay? This is the happiness of God. Not because you were made to feel sorry that I grieved you, okay? But because your sorrow led you to repentance, okay? Uh, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Um, like I said, this part here is where he has the, the great joy of... Um, of, of realizing that his message hit the spot. Okay? Um, and he changed his mind. This is the metanoia I was telling you about. Okay? So all these sins that they had, gossip, adultery, incest, and all the other things, that God, God used what he said to hit that mark and to change them. Um, the point here is that there is no merit in feeling sorry. Most people don't think about that. But, you know, when you feel sorry for something, it doesn't change God one tiny bit. Okay? And how do you know that's true? If I were sorry enough, could I get saved? Could I make it to heaven? That tells me that God does not count that. It counts for zero. Okay? But if I change my mind, 1 John 1.9 tells me that he cleanses me. So I know that Real confession is, is legit to God. It means it counts. It means it means something. Okay? But feelings count for zero. Sincerity counts for zero. Guiltiness counts for zero. Should I keep on going? I probably need to leave pretty soon, huh? But you get the point, is that emotions do not count with God. We'd like to think that. They count with your mom and dad, okay? Uh, but they don't count with God. They have no currency with him. Zero. Okay. 
He's saying that um, the purpose is that you would suffer no harm as a result of what I did to you. I had to do it. God told me I had to do it. I had a responsibility to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. This is the part that he's talking about here, too. He says, uh, when, it come, when he comes, in this case, John's quoting, this is Jesus speaking, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus knows he's going to leave, and the Holy Spirit's going to return. Okay, so he says, uh, to, to be their comforter, the parakletos we were talking about. Um, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will prove to the world, he, he will prove the world to be in, in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, about sin because people do not believe in me. So this is talking about two things. Is that in reality, the Holy Spirit does two things. He does, he just not, he just, he not only convicts people of the sin of unbelief in Christ, he also convicts believers of, of, of their sins. Okay, so he has two roles. One is to the unbeliever, and one is to the to the to the uh, to the believer. And, and the other part too is interesting: is that the, the Holy Spirit, the only sin that the Holy Spirit convinces the unbeliever of, is the sin of unbelief. Okay, not the other ones, not what a wretch they are, although that would be entertaining. And he doesn't do that. And he doesn't do that because Christ died for them on the cross, and they are not an issue. We talked about that weeks ago. In reality, unbelievers' sins are not an issue. The grace of God is the issue. Guess what? God, there's nothing between you and salvation and God except one, one understanding of metanoia'o about who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God. Okay? Ten. Trust me, the last five verses are faster. Okay, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets, but worldly sorrow brings to death. Now, what this is talking about here is that it's not godly sorrow. It's, it's, the, the word is actually um, God's standard. Okay? It's not sorrow. It's that the, the sorrow is supposed to lead to God's standard of doing things. Okay? It's supposed to grieve you to move you from the way the world teaches you to the way that God teaches you. They're two different things. Okay? I think I have to go forward for just a second. Proverbs 3.12. Okay? This, is, this is us. The Lord disciplines those who, love, who, who he loves as the Father loves the Son he delights in. Okay? So when God disciplines us, the smartest thing that we can do is listen to it. Right? the smartest thing we can do. Because that's his desire. That's his desire for the Corinthians. That's his desire for us. God has a standard and a protocol that he is going to follow to discipline us. And this is why he disciplines us. He, he disciplines us because he has an infinite love for us. Okay? And, and the good news to me is that he, he doesn't just love us emotionally because like I said, he does not have emotions like people do. He loves us the way an infinite, powerful, all-knowing God loves us. That's my preference. I mean, hands down, the love of God is unshakable. Okay? If you do the right or wrong thing, everybody in your life will leave you. Everyone. No exceptions. The only one who won't leave you is God. That's how strong his love is. That's how stable it is. It is the greatest gift ever.
What he's saying here is that this piece here, um, where he's talking about the, the change of mind, he says uh, the word produces is, is what happens when you, um, he, he uses the word brings, it actually means produces, and the word repentance is to change of mind. So what happens is that he brings along that suffering to change your mind, to change your mind from your mind to his mind, okay? Um, this is God's standard here, okay? This is what God wants us to do and to know. Okay. He says, choose my instruction. That's a Bible doctrine. That's the reading of the Word of God. That's the principles of the Word of God. Choose my, that's God talking, my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge, the principles of God, rather than choice gold. For wisdom, wisdom is doctrine applied to a circumstance. Okay, That's what it is. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Her is wisdom. Okay? The word of God is what God is trying to move us to. It's what he's trying to move the Corinthians to. It's what Paul's trying to get them to. Is this gold, this silver, these rubies that are worth more than anything in life. That's what he's trying to do. Okay? Now, I was thinking about this, uh, this axiom that kind of summarizes and everybody's familiar with it. It says, people listen to advice, but they obey pain. Okay, so if you look at it, as I put in little parentheses here, uh, listening to advice was Timothy. Okay, pain was Titus. Okay, um, you listen to advice until all of a sudden you feel the pain of not obeying it, and then you obey it. It's the pain that teaches you. The same thing's true with the Word of God. Is that Paul had to just kind of cut them to the heart, because otherwise they would have never gotten it. And even then, they're walking around with wounded people. They still didn't get it, right? They're trying to walk around with the, with the, with the knife. So what uh, Titus had to do, Titus was trying to, I mean, when Timothy went in, he's trying to make, give him Band-Aids and put them on it. And what Titus does is he takes the knife and he turns it. There we go. That's what we did right there. And, and that's, I hate to say it, that's us. Okay? We're stubborn. God knows how stubborn we are. To me, I think there's, there's always two choices, okay? There's the smart choice when God tells you stuff. And then there's the other one, the stupid choice, my favorite word, the stupid choice, okay? Now, I've learned a lot more things from being stupid than from being smart for some reason. But you know, when you disobey and you get disciplined, that's stupid. Uh, these are the same people who remember that the, the Corinthians are taking each other to court, the incest. They're drinking and getting drunk at the Lord's table. That's a problem, okay? So what God's trying to sit there and say, okay, you listen to me, if you would listen to me and obey me, you will have a joy and a happiness that's greater than anything. Anything you can have. Okay? There's two systems in the world. There's gods and the worlds. Okay? You have your choice. This is showing us God's viewpoint. Okay? The part here where it says, um, but worldly sorrow brings death. What he's talking about there is that, it, the, word, the word for death here is thanatos. It's talking about the sin unto death. Okay, if you do not, and he's talking to the Corinthians, if you do not learn these instructions, you're going to die. You're going to die as a result of the discipline of God. I'll make that sound nicer. I'm going to kill you, is what God's saying. Now, if you don't believe that, look at seven churches in chapters three, uh, two and three, where he says, he says, yeah, I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to take you out. 
Okay? So what this says is that if you as a Christian live a worldly life, God's going to take you out. And guess what? It's going to be painful. Because why? If you knew that your child was going to do something really, really going to hurt them, would you do everything you could to have them change their way? Yeah, of course you would. And that's what God is. See what this, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. And this is not godly sorrow again. This is sorrow to have you meet God's standards. That's what it's for. To produce. This word for to produce here is to produce something from the inside out. Um, that reminds me of, of, uh, of um, uh, Romans 12.2, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the word actually isn't transformed. It's transfigured. It's something that is changed from the inside out. When you learn God's word and you accept it, you don't change on the outside. You change on the inside. And that inside change becomes evident by what you do on the outside. That's the way it goes. Okay? Um, he has these things where he's talking about these things that he, that he sees. That really this, is, this, is, this is part of uh, um, Titus's report. He says, They produce in you uh, what earnestness, uh, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, uh, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Now, if you can understand what that says, you're a better person than I am, because I really struggled with it. Until I started uh, kind of laying it out. And he's saying that, that when you change according to God's standard, when you change and accept his protocol, because that's what the sorrow is supposed to do, he says what happens is, the word here is this, this is uh, the first word here, this earnestness, is diligence. It's diligence in the change of the mind. This is like um, when you first became a believer, you were absolutely on fire. You wanted everything in your life to be just like God wanted it to. Okay? Then you started to become a Christian for a while, and you started coming to church, and you started hanging out with other Christians, and you go, well, God didn't really mean that. Okay? So th this whole thing here is that what happens is that when Titus chomped them out, he's saying it restored their first love for Christ. Restored their first love. Okay? The next word under this thing here, the second word, is, um, is to have something that works from the inside out. This is the, this is the, the, uh, the producing part of it. Okay? The next word is declaring. Uh, clear. To clear. What's it says here? Um, this is the word apologia. It's actually the word for apologize. That's where we get the word apologize from. Um, and what it means is they, they understood the protocol of God and knew how to clean themselves up. Okay? That sounds very complicated, but it's just 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us our sins. Now, when we confess a sin, I don't know if it's the next one or not. Yeah, first one, okay. It says when we confess our sins, this is something between us and God the Father. Nobody else. You never confess your sins verbally out in the open to other people. It is a breach of the protocol of God. Okay? When we confess our sins, uh, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, for the sins that you remember, he will clean those up. For the sins that you don't remember, he will make you righteous. He washes those out too. But the other part is that the word confess here is not a word that is about weeping or about crying or about feeling bad. It, it is a word called homologeo. 
What it means is that when you agree with God about your sin, and you confess that I sinned, I did this, God wipes it clean like that. Just like that. It's gone. Why? The cross. The cross is the foundation of everything. Okay? So next time you think that God does everything out of love, remember that Jesus paid for all of that. Somebody had to pay. Our point of contact with God is not love. It's justice. It's the cross. He had to pay or we can't come over. It's that simple. The next word is indignation. It's used here. It says, this actually doesn't mean indignation. It means to have a new viewpoint. The viewpoint of God. This means to have an attitude that is like Christ's attitude. Remember the part in... in, in I write it down? That your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Okay? Who humbled himself even to the point of death. That's the new attitude they're talking about. This is what Titus saw in them. Okay? They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They have a new attitude towards their own carnality. They want it out. They want it cleaned up. They want it finished. Okay? Next word here is the word for fear. Good word. Um, and this is fear in a reverential way, meaning that they understand that God's way is the only way. There's not a second way. Now, usually, I don't know about you, but I've come to that, I've come to that conclusion about 5,000 times since I've been a Christian. Um, is that every time I do something stupid, I know I'm doing it stupid. I look at it and I go, God knows better than that. And I come back to the same thing. It's a, this is just who we are. The next one is that part about insatiable desire. This, um, this last piece here is when they, they, um, they come to an insatiable desire to, um, to, to know God's word. That's the insane. Remember, we talk about there's two desires that you can have, have as, as a Christian. When you're walking with God, you have the insatiable desire to know Him more. When you are not walking with God as an unbeliever, you have this insatiable desire for sin and lust, no matter how it comes out, in all of its forms. Okay? What I love about that is God makes those both very clear. You don't have to, you don't have to be smart, you just have to read the Word of God. Okay? The zeal here is talking about. Is the, is the zeal for the plan of God. They want to know, what is my spot? Where do I fit in your plan, God? I want to serve you, and I want to live for you. Remember that feeling when you first got saved? That's the one. That's the one. You want, you, I'll give up anything. Anything. Tell me what it is, Lord. I'll, I'll get rid of it. The Corinthians started that way. But as they progressed, they lost that. Most Christianity has lost that today. They're not willing to give things up. The last one is the word, uh, it's actually a word for revenge. It means that they are so adamant about having been stupid in carnality that it is their great desire to abandon the world viewpoint and to have God's viewpoint only. It is God's desire that we see everything as he sees things. That's the right viewpoint. Verse 12. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on, on account of the one who did wrong or on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see yourselves how devoted, see how devoted to us you are. And this is his purpose here. What he's saying here is he says, you know something? I didn't write that stuff because I was on the person on the side of the person who did the wrong or the person who um, who received the wrong. That's not what my purpose was. He says, my purpose is to help you see 
um, God's will. Help you get back to where you're supposed to be. Okay? Um, they you be brought back to what? Brought back to first looking at their carnality. Looking at their sins and dealing with them. That's the whole, the most painful thing about coming back to God is looking at your sin and accepting that you did that. Okay? It is. Um, and I, I was telling Joe one, couple, last week or so, I said, Joe, I said, I said, what's really funny, it says to me, is that if you understand that you're a squirrel and you do squirrely things, you shouldn't be surprised. Right? Now, we're all squirrels. I hate to tell you. But human beings are squirrels by design. So when I do something squirrely, I go, oh, I'm a deacon. I'm a man of God. How could I do that? I'm a squirrel. Okay? That's just, in my own self, I'm a squirrel. And that's, that's the variety that we're in. So we shouldn't get all weirded out about what we do. What we should do is get back into God's plan. And say, you know something? I know I'm stupid. That's not, a, that's not even up for question. Uh, you know, I sin all the time. Everybody does. Just some people, some people say, well, no, that's not a sin. No, there's a lot of sins, okay? <laughs> but that's where it starts right there. And the other part, the second piece of this is that the way that you help yourself to stop sinning is to know God's word better. You give him more to work with. What happens is when you don't know what God wants, you actually commit sins and you run out of fellowship with God and you become worse and bitter and tired and kind of pathetic. But you don't know why. Well, I went to church. Read my Bible. I went. To, I, I prayed for fifteen minutes this morning. Check, 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 check. I should be good. I feel miserable. It's because you don't know what God wants from you. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know all of it because our God is gracious and He's kind, and He wants you to not hurt yourself. Okay. He wants you to understand the relationship that you have with Him. That's what he wants from you. Oh, we're back to Titus. There he is. Yeah, 13. I have to read 13 first. Uh, okay. Every time we get up here, we, we see these slides for the first time. <laughs> I'm always very entertained. <clears throat> um, by all of this, we are encouraged. And he's talking about by all of this, he means their, their, their response. Okay. Um, in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. This is the same thing we're talking about. It says, it says not only were we as a team, you know, uh, Paul, Timothy, uh, Luke, we're all, we were really excited when we heard what happened. But you know what we were really excited about? When we looked at Titus's face. Titus thought you were a bum. And what he found out is that you actually had the heart of gold for Christ that we knew you had. That's what he was boasting about. Okay? So it's a result of the Corinthians' reconciliation that changed Titus. Um, this is the kind of people that they are. This is in Titus, but you can see uh, there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision. That's the, the Jews. They must be silenced. And what we're really telling us here is that these people in the church are making their church worse. And so that's what they're doing. That's what he's going there for. That one. There we go. <clears throat> I had boasted to him, Titus, talking about Paul, about you, but you have not embarrassed me. Um, 
And what, is, what it means is that, um, let me finish and I'll tell you what it means. It says, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. What he's saying, he says, all, the, all those things we said about you were true. Corinthians. <laughs> he says, but not only that, but the other things that we told Titus about is that Paul looked at, at, at the Corinthians and whatever it was, he saw in their hearts that even though they were these evil people who were believers doing awful things, he could see in their hearts that they loved God. That there was something in there that he saw now I look at like, see I I think that's how that's how Joe looks at you guys, okay? is that he he knows you he he knows that even when you do really dumb things that your heart really is is the Lord's and sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out how how do I cut that person to the heart that they become back to God how do you do that okay um, so so he's saying that he says you have you have not embarrassed me you know how he didn't embarrass me is because they did exactly what Paul thought they would do. Sometimes, I don't want to tell it to you, but sometimes teachers and preachers want to give up in their congregation because they're such morons. Okay? Not you guys, of course. We're talking about other churches, right? Um, um, but the true person of God, the person who loves you, like Pastor does, and I'm making a song about Joe, but this, his parallel here with, with Paul is, is beautiful, because I know Joe in this direction, is that he sees that in you. He knows that potential in you. Even if you don't want it, he sees it. He's waiting for you to make that response. He's waiting for you to get on fire. And he's trying to figure out, what words can I tell you that will make you that person that God wants you to be? That's what teaching is all about. Okay? Um, so he's saying that it proved to be true. What I saw in you was true. Titus didn't believe it. But then when Titus did his job unto God, and Titus didn't like it either. He didn't turn that knife. <coughs> oh, good. That's perfect. Um, when he did that, what he saw was this beautiful response that he never expected, that Paul had told him was there. And what it did to Titus is it changed him. He looked at those Corinthians and said, you know something? I see why you love them. I didn't get it, but I see why you love them. They do have hearts for God. They just needed somebody to cut it open. Okay? I suspect Paul's saying here is that he, he, could, he could talk to Titus about it, but Titus couldn't see it. Okay? That, it, that carnality, carnality, sin, obscures the godliness of Christians to other people. When you walk in your own way, people can't tell you're a Christian. There's nothing unique about that. When you walk in God's way, that they see. Okay? Paul's saying that God revealed the true hearts to him. He's saying here that it, re it, re it revealed that heart to Titus and to all of us. It was there. And his whole point here is that God's way is always perfect and true, even though it's painful. That's the way, that's the way, that's why what he has for us. That's what he has to do. His affection Verse 15, his affection for you is all the greater. See, Titus didn't have affection for them. Okay? And I, I understand it. Well, I understand this part, this first part, and then we're, we're coming to the end here, that what happens is that when a Christian is not conducting themselves in a holy, self-restrained, 
stable manner, it's very difficult to respect them. It's very difficult. It's only a pastor or somebody who can see that potential in them that goes for it. Everybody else is disgusted. Okay? That's just, it's just a truism. Okay? His affection is there now because he got to know you. He remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. Now, what's happened here is that now Titus is going to love and affection for what he saw. First, God knew it. God revealed it to Paul. Paul revealed it to Titus. Now Titus feels it. Titus sees it. Now Titus has affection and love for them. Only God can do that. And guess what? The people on the other side of the Corinthians, they are happier than they have been as long as I can remember. That's how God does stuff. Titus remembered in his heart, his heart in his, his mind and heart, what he saw. And this is a lot of times what you see. You see this beautiful obedience, and you remember it. It's like a, it's like a fragrance that you remember. And when you get to know a Christian sometimes, and you see them struggle, but you know how they walk with God, and you see them struggle over here, it's just the part that you have to remember. Because that person's still there even when they're walking in carnality. Okay. His faith was strengthened, as was Paul's, as was Timothy's, as was Luke, by what they saw and by what happened with those, with those believers. Choosing to take, have Titus do the tough love is the way that was supposed to be done by God. In this piece, last piece here where it says, received him, Titus, with fear and trembling, is the exact same wording of Philippians 2, 12-13, uh, with fear and trembling. And, it, and this is the part where it says to work out your salvation. Now, to work out your salvation, you don't work out salvation. It means to work out your deliverance. Um, meaning, uh, we were talking about uh, uh, sanctification. Okay? It's how you grow and mature. That's what that is. He's talking about the same thing. You work that out with fear and trembling. He thought I was done. Ha, ha, ha. I'm sorry. Um, we're done. <laughs> we just finished up here. Uh, I am glad I can have a complete confidence in you. The glad here is the same word for joy he had before. He has this huge joy. He is so happy and joyful. Now, remember the first part of this chapter? He was like, had the snot beat out of him. You know, he's depressed. He's, and now he's, he's overflowing with this joy, and he has confidence. He says, I have complete confidence in you. Seeing what has happened to them, seeing that they have changed. He now knows that they are equipped to mature. They have the ability. They have the ability to grow in spiritual maturity because they now have those seven things in their possession. They have humility. They have diligence in God's love. They know how to clean their relationship by confession to God. They, know how they have a new attitude in Christ. They have an insatiable desire to know him in his word and in their relationship. They are zealous for his plan in their life. And they have replaced their, their viewpoint with God's viewpoint. The word of God is the most holy and perfect thing. It needs to be first in your life. And I'm encouraging you now to be like these renewed Corinthians. To put God first. To set everything aside but him. Let's pray. To his gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you are unsparing in your details. These are Christians, they're not unbelievers. That you will do whatever it takes. 
I pray, Lord, that we will be wise and take the advice of your word rather than the discipline. But I thank you, Lord, that if we do get stubborn, that you are willing to discipline us, to bring us back, to bring us back to happiness, to eternal relationship with you. I ask these things in Jesus Christ, our most holy Lord and God. That's the end of today's message. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and want to support our mission of reaching others, help grow our ministry by visiting ficfreno.com slash give. To get the latest updates from our channel, hit the subscribe button. Visit our Facebook page by clicking the link below to let us know how God is moving in your life. <laughs>